the truth. You can't handle the truth. I think we've covered this, haven't we? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. You can't handle the truth. Are we clear, Colonel? You can't handle the truth. But there's also uh, a number of questions that we have here from some kind commenters that I think we can get into maybe at the end. This actually makes some fairly good points that I think are worthy of discussion. So we can... Uh, you, we could do them now. We could do them now? Okay. Well, um, I'll read them, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is from Red Praxis Circle 8500. I'm glad he's got a normal name and not an offensive one. Uh, love Dr. Hyatt. Keep it up. Can you do one of the uh, one, I suppose he means episode, that focuses more on his undoing book? I have been practicing his energized meditation exercises for two months, and I'm starting to get uh, results. I don't, think, I don't think we'll do an entire episode on that book, but I was thinking we could just discuss it. Um, so two months in, starting to get results from the Undoing book. I presume the part he's doing is when Dr. Hyatt goes through the uh, th that kind of full body tour type thing, how you start from the head, you go to the eyes, throat, chest, blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of like a progressive exercise. I don't know if you remember that, that section. Yeah, of the there's a couple of experiments. And then there's, a, then there's like a section called The Method. Yeah, that's so it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're doing you're doing various things with making sounds um, and paying attention to your mouth and throat and um, yeah, and then looking at uh, different body parts. Yeah, which is the proto, I would say, <clears throat> proto example of of what the actual full radical undoing course is kind of like. Because I guess you typically you don't start with the whole body uh, straight away. So you're meant to do obviously sections. You start from top go down to bottom. But I, I also remember doing those exercises, you know, a long, long time ago, when I first got this book. It was very interesting, because um, I got a lot of results very quickly from doing this. And I'd been doing yoga for maybe some time at this point, I'm talking maybe 15 have to be 15 years ago now. Fuck, I'm old. And I got some really out there experiences from doing this, I got probably one experience in particular that I remember very clearly, where I was doing the leg lift exercise, which is where you're kind of lying down and you lift your legs up, you hold them there, then you drop them. And I've been experimenting with this method for maybe a couple of months at this point. And I remember really enjoying that exercise. It's actually an exercise that I enjoy doing to this day. And it's something that I use for my breathing work because it really opens up that part of the abdomen, which is quite important. So this is the one where you're you're lying on your back with your uh, knees pointing upward, you know, your feet are close to your ass basically, and you drop your legs outward. Is that it? Uh, no. So it, it's the one where your legs are straight out in front of you. There's no bend and you, you lift them up and hold them up for a while. Oh, and then okay. you just right. let them drop. <clears throat> and because you're engaging your abdominal muscles to do this, um, what happens is that when you let go and you let gravity 
do that for you. And of course, gravity is a really important part of the whole process. It really opens up your lower abdomen. It's a fantastic exercise. I use it all the time uh, to this day. And particularly, so this, so, particularly so this for my clients, like so, just uh, quickly. Yeah. Go, sorry. Go, uh, on. go for it. Yeah. I was going to say, with I'm my. I'm just going to my... say this. Yeah. No, you go first. <laughs> we're, too, I'll shut up. We're, we're too far away <laughs> from each other in the world yeah, to, yeah. to synchronize the talking. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say that's it's a demonstration of it's like the tension release uh, uh, method, basically. So you're like t holding up and tensing, and then you, you're dropping and then releasing, and um, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Exactly. Precisely. Yeah. And it, it has this very striking effect. Um, so, so I've had a number of people who can't literally can't breathe deeply. Um, and I use this with them all the time. And yeah, you, you should see their eyes when they realize that there's this whole section of their body that they can actually breathe into. Like, it's like, they can't believe it. So it's very effective for that. But I remember doing that. that people who are, they're, their breathing is tight up and they're, they're restricted up in their okay, upper chest. Yeah. Area. Yeah. So of, I, yeah. Okay. I split people up into three groups quickly. So you have people who uh, shoulder breathe, you have people that chest breathe, then you have people that can breathe deeply, but they have a very weak breath. It's not a strong breath. Like your the tonus of the abdominal muscles is very poor. And typically everyone is, some species of all three of these things no one's really a pure shoulder breather but the people that yeah have trouble are typically very much up in their upper chest and their shoulders and they're recruiting muscles uh in the neck you know that kind of thing yeah. uh so anyway i've been doing this um exercise for you know quite a while and just really enjoying it um and i just remember having this experience where all of a sudden I just had this explosion of, I think what you say, uh, gooey, squishy, pleasant sensations just explode. And I was floored for maybe five or six hours. Like it was so enjoyable just to lie down and not do anything. I just lay there for that long. And I did moving ruined it. So like every time I'd move the pleasant flow of energy that was going all around my body would just kind of stop a little bit so i wouldn't move so i remember just being stuck in one place um consciously like i, I don't want to move because this, this feels really good um i i, I would have i was there for hours i don't know if it was five or six but it was a really long time like it was you know ages before i got up and then it remained even through the afternoon and I remember just still feeling really good. And I, you know, that lasted for maybe two or three days. And that really, you know, that happened two or three months of doing it very regularly. So there's, there's definitely power in, in that exercise in that book, I think. Um, I don't know what I got out of it. I was trying to think. Is this something permanent and lasting? I, you know, I, it was a long time ago. It's hard to tell. I could just be making up stories. I think that looking back, there was some kind of loosening up that happened. But I do remember being very surprised just at the intensity of the sensations and the pleasantness uh, of it. And that really proved to me that there's something going on. So I, I'd recommend to this gentleman that probably it's worth looking at the full 
course um, as opposed to just doing that full body tour. Although you could continue to do that probably, I think, every now and then. I don't know. What do you think uh, about that? Do you have any thoughts? Um, uh, I don't want to... Uh, people should take my advice with a pinch of salt because it's a long time since I've done the exercises in the orthodox way that he teaches them. Likewise, so like, just well, doing, as an I'm aside, me too. Slightly different yeah. things now. Um, <clears throat> but I do know... I, I remember when I started, when I did those experiments and the method at the first part of the, the Undoing book, um, it blew my mind intellectually because I hadn't really noticed I mean I think it was about 20 when I did this I hadn't noticed how connected sounds and words are with your body you know I'd been very kind of abstracted up in my head stuck in my head kind of um, words separate from the body and then when I started making it like it was like the it's like he gets you to start making basic noises sounds you know baby noises Hmm. and uh I remember that I was like, "Oh, holy shit!" The these two sides are interacting all the time—the throat and the face and all that stuff. As you're saying these words, and then realizing all the time you're speaking, all this is happening. It kind of it kind of started putting the mind-body split back together for me at that point. Uh, as far as like big bursts of sensations and stuff, it was um, it was later with leg stuff. You were talking about leg stuff that that kicked off for me with the the dropping the knees outward. I don't know, is that in the book or is that in the course? I think it's in the um, course. I don't think it's in the book. There's, yeah, there's I, I also forget. some other parts at the end. It's either the, that book or there, there's also another, maybe it's the maybe it's the Tantra book where he's got some of the leg exercises. I think it's the Tantra book he actually has those in. Um, one of them. Um, but the, yeah, when I had that, there there was like two, two kinds of sensation energies you'd notice. There was the, the tension release of the built-up um, the release of the tensions that were built up in your muscles, which are you did, sometimes you don't even know you're holding on to them. You've got this real rigid tightness, and then it's only when you start doing practices like this you start becoming aware of the tension, and then you start releasing the tension, and you it's usually pleasurable because you're uptight about it. It has all sorts of knock-on effects where something else triggers something else. Uh, like it doesn't just it's not all just simply just letting air out of a. Uh, tired or something and you just gradually get less and less it triggers other tensions in other areas when you start releasing in random areas and stuff. It's, com- it's complicated but anyway there was the, that type of energy where you just release the pleasure of um, releasing the uptightness and then with the leg stuff I noticed it was um, energies up and down the spine I was started getting buzzing in the spine which obviously goes along with all the Kundalini and, and the, the, the different different ways of talking about it that people have had in different uh, traditions. Um, so, and then over time, the two of those things kind of, it's, it was hard to distinguish what was what and what was real and what wasn't. Um, what you're just leaning into, then you, you become a little bit, uh, it triggers, well, it triggered addictive behavior to me. I kept chasing the good feelings again, which is preventing you from being open to other new feelings because you're trying to get, repeat the same one that you had before, whereas mm. the, the first blast of the feelings and the sensations came to you because you had no expectations. You're surprised by it. So you're not trying to make something happen. You're just open to it. You're trying a new practice, and then something happens. You're surprised. And then your mind, or maybe the left side of your brain, uh, decides to latch onto that and try and repeat that, and that's what it's aiming for now rather than being open to to the next new thing. So that's, that's the kind of mistake I made with it earlier on. 
Um, as far as the guy only been like two months in, I, I don't think there's. I think that's not, but that's pretty good actually that he's maintaining that for two months and building up slowly because you know how and other others talk about not rushing, not going too fast into it. You know, and I was a rusher. I like jumped into the looking for the <laughs> the strongest yeah, version. The ultimate high. <laughs> yeah. And I had um, yeah. many side effects from this, which I'll maybe talk about in another one. But like one serious one. Um, that took me a long time to sort it. I mean, it, it was good in the long run. Uh, fuck, I'll just say it. I had, like, ended up having a seizure at one point. And uh, it's not directly related to this work, but I'd been doing this work a lot. And then a few months later, then I stopped it. I wasn't doing it. And then a few months later, I had a seizure and I'd never had one before. So, you know, I, and I'd had the buzzing in the spine and all that stuff. So that to me, I've read about people having problems like that, doing Kundalini yogas and stuff like that, Westerners trying these things. So I had... That was me going gung ho too too hard too fast. So I think the guy taking it slowly is probably better, um, more sensible. And the the main advice at that stage, which will be which is impossible to follow, is don't keep chasing. Try to repeat the same good feelings. Just do the work and let what happens happen. Hmm. But you'll find yourself not thinking you're letting what happen happen. But really, you're not. You you have a mental image or a concept of the way it is, is to be and you're trying to squeeze it into that and then when things do happen you try and squeeze them into whatever symbolic framework you prefer yeah. uh i jumped around from different traditions different styles you can fit them into everything if you if you're reading enough about a certain thing or you're thinking enough about it or writing about it, you can squeeze any of these experiences into almost any any of these ones but some work better for different people uh mm. So, you know, Hyatt was talking and he talks in an interview that he, there's certain symbolic systems he prefers over others and, you know, it'll be different for everybody. Um, but you, the problem is then you start trying to make the experiences fit the symbols, which they don't really necessarily fit all the time, uh, each time. So all of this takes you in the opposite direction of what the work starts, of what the work is doing at the beginning, which is bringing the mind-body stuff closer together. Once you get into it like that, the, the temptation then is to you create more mind-body split by you go off into all the symbols and you try to figure it all out rather than just dealing with the experiences directly. Yeah. Did you um? Did you get shaking a lot? So I'm just recalling yeah. that memory. So I, I shook uncontrollably. And, and I do know that a lot of Westerners who have trouble with Kundalini experiences, they do sometimes get the shakes and they can't get rid of it. Well, I mean, that's it's a seizure. is just a big shake, almost. You know, it's like yeah, yeah that's true. You know, it's like yeah. it's the it's an extreme version of that. You know, and um, there's like various circumstances at the time. I've been working in a difficult, a hard man manual job at that time, outdoors. You know, and, and um, uh, so I was like tired and done a lot of physical exercise over a while. Uh, in kind of dangerous circumstances, it was out. It's like in on the cages it's like fish farming cages you know the coast are rough Brutal. rough um yeah. seas in scotland and um so i'd been doing that and then i uh, went away for a weekend and was like drinking and hardly you know apple night and hardly slept match and stuff like that so and then that happened then i was i was like i'd just been to the british museum and i was visiting all the cool historical stuff so i was in that kind of frame of mind you know and uh, then it happened on the street on the on the way home and woke up in the hospital and stuff, face smashed up and that and uh, you know, uh, like what the hell just happened. It took me ages before I even linked it to the stuff to the work because I hadn't been doing it immediately prior. 
to what basically all the shaking stuff, the energies, it's like that thing where you're better not to start and start and stop, or you're better not to start and only do it halfway. You know, once you've once you've started, you're past the point of no return. You have to keep going. Yeah. Um. So for me, I think it was just I let it all settle down and I ignored it and I went moved on to the next thing and then it caught up with me a couple couple of months later. Hmm. Uh, this is this is like how it warns against this kind of thing in his in his first course in the first DVD course. So it's not like this shouldn't happen if it slowly by the book like the guys do. Yeah, <clears throat> um, that's that's true. Um, I, or John you know, Willis says as well. Yeah, he does. He really um, says that, doesn't he? I I, uh, I fortunately fortunately. So I have a similar tendency. So I, I tend to uh, just go uh, hell for leather and then, you know, kind of leave something. But with this kind of thing, I was like, I've, I've got a kind of laziness about me. So, so I always find it difficult to do everything, like something once a day or several times a day. So I, I actually found the two or three times a week better for my character. So I, yeah, I never got any super intense side effects just because of my inherent laziness <laughs> i think um although there were periods where i pushed it um as i've spoken about the experience uh just now and of course the one in china in our previous conversation one well, a, a couple of things i would just add quickly uh don't neglect the mental side of the ex exercises I'm, I'm pretty sure in that book he gives you a list of behavioral things you should do and i think the real power probably comes when you combine the two things so the body work is good but also think about the other stuff that he mentions in that book and his other books like the black book series or you know what, whatever else he's got out there because that is in a way i mean that's kind of the point <clears throat> is uh creating behavioral change and those uh, self ratings and all the other different stuff he's got in there is is important to to that end. And uh, the other thing is, so, so since I've got into uh, <clears throat> Buddhism and uh, Zazen in particular, uh, Hyatt talks a lot about in his work uh, about the so-called Maha Satipatthana meditation or the Maha uh, meditation, which is really just a form of Buddhist meditation or Vipassana meditation, how you just notice what's going on in your body and you note the sensations verbally. You better do this at the end of your sessions. And I probably didn't do that enough looking back. I was quite lazy. So I just wanted to do the, you know, the actual exercises, the kind of sexy stuff. But the ability to sit there and note what's going on in your body uh, in your body is very important and it demonstrates also to you you know a, lo a lot of people when they do this work they can't actually stand sitting there and being with themselves like actually experiencing the sensations that are going on in their body and that's kind of the thing you got to work through it's really important and in a way the body work what it's doing is it's bringing up all this shit into your conscious purview so that it's critical to be able to sit there and sense and feel and to describe what's going on in your body it's really important 
and in in many ways it forms the entire basis of eastern or buddhist um meditation practice also because that's essentially what you're doing you're doing the same thing you're noticing what's going on so don't neglect that either make sure you do really that should form more of what you do each session yeah and that's also important for preventing the problem i said earlier about um getting caught up in chasing specific feelings and sensations you know like what you think the right thing should be or or a good you had this really good experience you're trying to make it happen again is uh, if you're doing the sensing feeling the scan the scanning thing where you're just noticing what's sensations and feelings and whatever thoughts as they arise like the personal style you uh, are detaching from them so you're not jumping into them and chasing them and trying to create something so that's kind of like a um, protection against the problem I said earlier although it doesn't you'll still find yourself doing that you know anyone who's done any kind of those type of um, uh, it's like the Burmese style meditation uh, Buddhist meditation is uh, you've you find yourself getting pulled off into things this, this is part of the point of it mm. um, so yeah, and it's like the, the, you said earlier about the don't neglect the mental stuff. Yeah, the you have to think of it as you're working on yourself from the top down as well as the bottom up, and you have to do both at the same time. Uh, and this kind of work, like Hyde's work, and there's other similar things like we're doing or, or now, or um, some other people doing is is working in between. It's something that's in between those two things, the top down and bottom up. So like you're the body work will bring up concepts and ideas and thoughts and feelings that you have that were kind of rigid and fixed in place that you didn't even realize you had them. This kind of structure, mental, emotional structure you had, you know, a large part of that's genetic and biological. You can't do anything about it, but a large part of it isn't. It's invented and created by you in your life. Uh, it will bring up those things. But if you're not thinking about things and, and um, using your mind, a lot of that's useless because you'll just end up, uh, going a little you'll just be controlled by those lower sensations and feelings and things um so you have to they they bring up the concepts and stuff but you'll also notice if you're trying to change your concepts about yourself or you're trying to try to change your ideas or you have all these big plans about yourself are you going to change are you going to there's all these self-development plans and goals for life and stuff and then you just can't get yourself to do them because you're your body won't do what your mind is wanting it to do you just drift and you do other things so you're you're still being you're that's because you're being controlled by all those um, physical, emotional structures that you have. And a lot of them are just habits. Uh, so you you need to be, when you bring up all the energies and the, you release all the tensions and you become more free, you need to be thinking and using your mind and being ultra-logical and rational about things, training yourself in that way at the same time so that you don't... Um, so that you can shape those energies and use them for your benefit because otherwise you'll just be like a passive person having all these crazy experiences and you won't do anything in your life you'll be the guy in the cave that we always talk about the guy in his underwear at the side of the road yeah yeah that's true um you don't want to end up a, a dharma bum as they say and that's a one-way ticket to ending up that way i think that's it i mean I a lot thought, of people I mean... get into this stuff just chasing pleasure i mean it's just that's what they're there for so they yeah. it, i mean the guy who you put the question doesn't sound like that at all he sounds like he's doing the work and he's you know i'm assuming when he says he's getting results what he means is the kind of things that we've been talking about yeah things are happening he's experiencing things that didn't happen before um 
maybe gain by gain results. He means he's behaving differently in social situations, which is part of it. When you start releasing the tensions, things break up and stuff. But you, mm. you have you, the conscious, reasoning, rational person, has to be shaping and um, the energies and stuff, because otherwise you'll just create different problems. Yeah. Uh, this is a mistake I made: is try to get it all to. You try to get this like fireworks happening by itself. You don't even think about it anymore. It's almost a kind of nihilism. Actually, you're trying to give up responsibility for your life and let all these energy stuff do it for you. Um, but you can't escape that stuff. You have to. It's you have to do both. It's the top down and bottom up at the same time. And work like Hyatt's is the it's the the bridge between between those and the bridge between mind and body. Yeah. That's the way to look at it. For any person, different times of your life, you're you're going to be more in the mind words in your head side of it or more in the physical experience of sensation side of it but both are obviously operative all the time but you some people need to get more one than the other i mean some i was a i needed to get more in my body but some people need to get out of their body and into their head more think more because mm. they're just they're just um controlled by the sensations and emotions and think they're free you see these people that think they're free and spontaneous and stuff and, and their movements and stuff and they're they're trying to act free but they're very rigid. Yeah. They're just they're just they're going against the structure of their organism. They're like the uh, skeletal postural structure. They're going against that to make their body to make themselves appear free and spontaneous. But actually it's a kind of deformed rigidity. Yeah. Anyway, that's a different point. I wouldn't know about that. Um because since doing your course, uh, my posture is impeccable. Um, so I recommend everyone there out there try it. Yeah, it works. Buy it now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, just on that note, um, I think they call it Superman syndrome. So it's like this this idea that, yeah, you just want to do everything at once. You just want to fucking rise on the planes really quickly and just get all this energy flowing. And I've just got to do everything 15 times a day. And like, you know, just, just go easy on yourself. And um kind of enjoy the process, I think. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking, what did I really notice when I first started doing these uh, exercises? The first impression was like I was, I'd been in situations and I would describe myself as highly reactive and fairly quickly into, into this work. I remembered <clears throat> some very vivid uh, experiences where there was a situation where I would normally react in a certain way. And I remember just, it didn't impact me that the situation externally happened. And I just remember I had like no reaction come up or a slightly different reaction or that I don't, I don't know how you'd say it, maybe an ability to just observe something. Whereas before I would just really go for it. And it was, it was quite a vivid experience to the point where I can remember it today. Um, and I remember at the time being very surprised, almost like taken aback. It's like, hang on. <laughs> it's kind of like this weird, weird feeling. And I started getting a lot of things like that, like little momentary realizations and just these kind of changes where, yeah, something something that I would react in a certain way before just, just kind of dropped. That's That's how I would describe it and that's quite surprising depending on how reactive you are i was quite reactive yeah because the this the set of tension patterns you have are locking in certain behaviors so in a certain mm -hmm. situation it just triggers a behavior on autopilot you know like the robot this is just the 
being a robot instead of being conscious you know just stuff just happens to you you've kind of ref it's almost like a reflex based on certain situations and then if you start doing work like this or other work and you break up the patterns uh there's going to be situations where you that reflex doesn't happen anymore and something else happens or more likely what you said is you just suddenly are aware of oh normally that would annoy me i'd not bother now yeah like for me yeah. I, I noticed one time i was speaking to someone and uh, like it was some i think they, i was at doing a, i was at some course in a public place and somebody came to the door and i was dealing with the person who arrived at the door like a delivery guy or something like that and it was just that kind of awkward situation like what used to be an awkward situation with the stranger and he was trying to figure out where to go and whatever and i remember him he wasn't a delivery guy maybe somebody else but anyway uh they as they were talking to me i was looking at him thinking this person's kind of squirming and all tense why are they all tense and nervous <clears> and squirming <throat> as they're speaking to me and then i realized mm. oh they're just nervous in the social situation and i went and i thought to myself oh interesting i'm not and i thought holy shit that's just why we used to be like I was so stuck in that squirming, awkward, tense feeling when you're in social situations. You weren't even aware of what was going on. Yeah. You were just like tightening up like a ball and you're just reacting to whatever happens to you. You're just, um, you're like no freedom at all. You're just like, you're just, I don't know, like, you're just like a clock, you know, you're just wound up and then you just, it'll just wind down in, in a predictable way uh, until you do something to break up these things. So if our guy who's commenting is meaning, um, these type of things are happening, then that's a sign. That's a good sign. Uh, that is results. If by results he just means you got a pleasant feeling, that may or may not be good. It depends. Yeah. It may or may or not be. It may or may not be progress. That's what I mean. I mean, it'd be good in the moment. It feels nice, but it sometimes things feel nice, but it doesn't do anything. Nothing changes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's true. Um... Yeah, I find it comes. It came to me in in waves. Like you would feel as if nothing was happening for a very long time, and then you have a breakthrough, or <clears throat> maybe the experiences uh, that I was just describing come in clusters. I guess I describe it as. But again, I don't know if my memory is tricking me because you know it's it's funny the narratives we tell ourselves. Uh, sometimes it's hard to really nail it down. But yeah, one I of think the best um, thing. Yeah. Okay. You go. Sorry. Just one of the things sure. is just the doing that, that early exercises and how it's, I remember now, it's just realizing you're really coming to terms with the fact that you're a biological creature, mm. an animal on a planet. You know, not not just an animal on a planet. There's, you know, humans are something else <laughs> included, but are definitely animals as well. And um, you, until that point, you don't really, you know that intellectually, you understand, you've read it, heard about evolution, blah, 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 or whatever. You don't really, um, you don't really believe it. You know, you don't feel it is true. You kind of think because you're just lost in your head and words, and you're thinking of all these things. You kind of think of yourself as not really one, especially when you're young, especially when you're in your twenties. You don't yeah. think you you think you're immortal, and uh, unless you know something bad happens, so you just think you're immortal. And you don't think about these things, and uh, and first, it's kind of a fear thing, you know, because you don't want to feel like you're a vulnerable animal which you are in many ways and you by doing the work I sort of became aware of that and came, uh, came to you know be able to deal to deal with that and then realize okay so I have certain these flaws and these weaknesses that I have to work on so you actually become less vulnerable I mean like in the physical survival sense um, by 
uh, by doing a work like this because then you see yourself more clearly of what you are, what you really are, not what you think you are in your words in your head. Yeah, true. And it, I think that's it's a good point. And it's probably why this work, doing it properly when you're young, which is super hard, is a good thing because you will get most benefit from it when you're young because the options that open up to you, you can use more easily because you got more time. <laughs> Um, not to say it's ever a complete waste of time if it makes you happier and more well adjusted and less reactive. Those are all good things. But it's but it's also your brain and your body. You're you're yeah. the more you're just repeating the same habits, you're just drilling them down and drilling them down and digging really the ditch is. deeper, the ditch deeper and deeper and making it harder to change. Although one benefit of being older is you you understand more about the world and you realize how important it is. So you can actually get yourself to do the work. <laughs> that you yeah. need to do when you're older That's in a true. way because you, you, now you know that things don't work and oh, oh, you know having a bigger biceps really didn't actually change that much in your life you know yeah. Um, yeah. or reading the hundred books didn't actually do anything to the rest of your life you know and then so you know these things as you get older so you know you take things more seriously so it's, there's that benefit yeah you you can definitely deepen it That's that's for sure absolutely yeah I was I was a dickhead seriously like <laughs> you know i think you know i think back and i'm like ah shit no wonder i didn't you know didn't fully grasp it for a long time but who knows maybe there's a special type out there that you know is young he's gonna get it all he's got discipline i'm sure he's out there somewhere um okay i guess we'll do the second one which is a bit of a long question i don't know if we're even gonna get to the uh, mp3 anyway the question I've always had about Hyatt, and maybe you can address this, is how someone can do all these occult spiritual practices, bioenergetics and meditation, etc., and still be so wrapped up in the ego. I myself have done all, or uh, sorry, all of those same things, and it's to the point where, on some level, I'm very aware that we are all one, all connected, part of one. The contempt Hyatt has for the common man strikes me as odd, I guess because I've done so much work to see through the ego, and I've had so many experiences validating our interconnectedness. I can't take seriously Hyatt's overwhelming cynicism and contempt. Hyatt himself says he's experienced these things. He talks about LSD trip where he could see tarot cards and someone else, uh, sorry, he could see the tarot cards that someone else in another room was looking at. I don't understand how you can come down from that and then write so much material that is clearly rooted in a sense of separateness from those around you. He reminds me of Max Stoner sometimes. You know, I like Max Stoner. I'm pretty sure Hyatt did as well. I I think I've heard him. He, mention he it did, once. yes, he yeah. he did. He he recommended him once and uh, <clears throat> uh, to people. Yeah. So, what do you think of that? Interesting um, one. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things going on there. One is, uh, yes, it's unusual for someone who's into who's advanced in spiritual practices and that kind of world to be negative about people in general we're used to them being kind of lovey-dovey airy-fairy kind of people at least publicly you know we're used to them being saying nice things about people um and they've been you know focusing on love and oneness and all those kind of things 
so it's unusual, at least in the Westerners' perception of a spiritual person, to be to say negative things. Um, although there is a tradition of that, you know, there are traditions of the the guy who kind of says the cra- the crazy wisdom kind of person, or the you know, they're kind of um, a, a, a rogue guru kind of type that say that break all the social conventions and say all the wrong things and that kind of thing, and that's their method that they use for people. I had a bit of that, I think. Um, the uh, he said, "What was the middle part about that that comment again?"
the contempt uh here we go so i myself have done all these things and it's to the point where some level i'm very much aware that we are all one we are all connected the contempt hired oh, has oh, the common separate. man so like how can you be talking about things being separate and stuff yeah um, the ego and etc yeah well yeah. Uh, well i mean what am i thinking right now you don't know so there's there's a level of separateness there's a type of separateness that's not to say uh that things aren't interconnected and you can't separate things because it's also things are inseparable but there's also some kind of level of separateness or there would be nothing it would just be one thing which would be nothing <laughs> you know i mean we get mystical but so to think that uh to have like any kind of realizations that you would just constantly be going around in a state of oneness and nothing be separate well you wouldn't be able to eat food because you have you know, do you know what i mean um so uh that's a different thing from the experience of doing the meditations and then you're experiencing everything is just one and the subject object uh separation breaks down and stuff so uh, there's still even if everything is one thing everybody's the one thing is seeing itself from different angles you know you, each person has their own stream of experiences so there is a separation by definition that has to be uh it's just not the separation that people think there is before they do any of the work. So, which I think what the guy's getting at. So how can he be so divisive? I think that's what he's saying as well is how can, how can he be so negative about other people and divide them between basically the smart, good ones and the, and the idiots <laughs> to be more like how high it would maybe say it. Um, that's not how spiritual teachers talk normally. Yeah. I think that's it's almost like surprise that someone being like that. But I, I also think I, in a personal level, just enjoyed winding people up like that. People who thought having the love all as one crowd, he just liked winding them up. He enjoyed that. So the question would be, why would he enjoy that if he was so advanced? <laughs> um, well, why not? Yeah. You, you know, there's a certain rascality about all these teachers, right? You're not just like... Yeah walking around like with a fucking halo around the head a lot of them behave badly i think we've spoken about that before it's not like just um, definitely yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean you can't like this the spiritual insight uh doesn't correlate exactly with model pro, um, improvement in the person not necessarily there are some things you stop doing certain things but you again that's i think that's a modern western misunderstanding or the way that the eastern teachers who arrived were seen as or presented as you know that kind of a like a transcendent person who's out of life and stuff but i mean the closest you can get to that is being the guy who's in the cave and doesn't leave the cave i mean a person is going to be a real person and they're going to be whatever kind of uh, awakenings or whatever they had are going to be on top of this biological organism that's on a planet so with its own emotions and own habits and own um, preferences and uh why would it why would why would somebody not why could somebody not see things clearly for what they are and also be a dick socially do you know what i mean <laughs> it's like there's no there's no yeah. there's no reason why those two things would have to go together i mean why yeah. <clears throat> why is seeing things clearly mean the person will do good things for the other people i think in general they're more likely to but that's almost it's but that's not even a moral thing it's more just structural you just it's the game works better that way because if you're just doing things nice things will be nicer to you it's just like um overall uh but at the end of the day last samurai was maybe quite advanced in zen 
and um, was easily killing someone. So, like, I don't think Hyatt's killing people by saying that people are being quite negative about people. Yeah. You know? So yeah, yeah, totally. I I also I mean, think you can, that... de- you can deny people are. You go. I'm just saying you can de- like people can deny if some they can deny somebody's advancement or whatever. That's like one approach to this problem, but I don't think it solves it because I just I just don't I just don't think the two things necessarily go together. You can be a dick and and see things clearly, or you yeah. can be a really nice person and really good person and have no spiritual awareness at all. Yeah, it, it's funny. Other than the fact that you do that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, are they the same? Maybe the same route, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but, but the but by seeing people, then I, I don't see the, the strict correlation between the two. No, I, I, it is. It, there's a lot of assumptions made about spirituality because in spirit, you know, I hate that word, by the way. I hate it for same. this reason. But for I, use, this I reason. use it all the time. Yeah, I, there's no other word, is there, really? Um, so I, I use it too. But I think there's there's an assumption that the moral system that is inherent in the religion goes along with the awakening experience, which in, in the format of a religion, it does. But you have to understand, like, Dr. Hyatt wasn't particularly bound to any one religion. He was like a chameleon. He did all sorts of things. But he was massively influenced by Nietzsche, of course, who has a completely different conception, right? So he was going around having these experiences, but he he wasn't doing it through some hippy dippy Hindu frame or, you know, with a, a moral system of sweetness and light. Uh, he was doing it from a perspective of someone who cared about power, and he was aware of that, and he made that very explicit that that's what he cared about. Because I think that for me, and I could be wrong, but when someone says to me that we are all one, we're all connected, the moral assumption you derive from that experience is not necessarily like there's there's no morality inside of that experience. That's just an experience. There's no moral structure you can necessarily, you could, you could do it, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to. It's just an experience. It's just a realization that there isn't separateness, as Kevin was describing. So there's not separateness, but there is kind of separateness because we're all having our own part of this greater inseparable whole. But yeah, Hyatt's influences were not um, hippy dippy monkey face gurus, which, he, you know, I think even him and Rigardi were constantly taking the piss out of people like that, like that kind of those people that derive those strong sweetness and light type moral principles from these experiences and outlooks so not only was his philosophical starting point completely different so his nietzschean outlook and sternian sternian is probably sternerian i don't know even how you'd say that but uh, he also had a scientific background which people forget uh so he was a psychotherapist he was a psychologist uh, and he looked at the world that way pretty clearly. So he was looking at people as in, in terms of bundles of behaviors. And he was working with people. And he knew people, I would imagine. And I would imagine after working with people and knowing people that you would start to get the shits with people, particularly if you're 
subscribing to something like Friedrich Nietzsche, where the whole thing is about man is something to be overcome. And that's rife throughout his philosophy. There's nothing Eastern. There's no moral Eastern uh, bits that Hyatt's taking away from this stuff. And the way that he's using these yogas, special yogas or special exercises, it's not really necessarily even in a spiritual way. Like when you read his books, he's using it as a way to change character and behavior, which is quite a scientific proposition. Um, not to say he was against spiritual experiences. I think he was obviously into that because he wrote books about it and stuff. But for sure, he he rejected the the Eastern derivation of morality from these transcendent awakenings. Which is not to say that I don't think he was going around like chopping people up and fucking like all this, you know, all this really fucked up shit. As you were saying, Kevin, I think he was just, he liked fucking stirring people up, which I like doing too. So I totally get that. I love doing that to people. And a lot of the time I would imagine that he was doing that to expose parts of people to themselves, maybe. I, I know that's why I kind of do it. So, so I guess there's a few things there. So he's coming from a place that's not, mystical a mystical eastern uh system of morals that are derived from awakening experiences and in the east they write about these things in a very particular way and particularly in hinduism it's, it's very flowery and very like just a bit icky you know i don't know how you feel about that kevin but i feel it's a bit icky like i don't, I don't like it it just it's like you you guys are taking all these morals and you're trying to superimpose them on a world that's that's way grayer than what you're trying to say that it is. And that that can almost become a, a crutch in and of itself. Like you can go around thinking, like <laughs> potentially the thought that we're all interconnected is just a thought. Potentially. It may not even, there may have been an experience that when you come out and say, we're all interconnected, we're all one, this, this guy's got ego, I got no ego, like in it, in and of itself, that's still an egotistical statement. It's not without ego to go around saying things like that. It's quite egotistical. So I think Hyatt, you know, is a complex character. And I think that he saw these contradictions in us as an animal, because that was his epistemological starting point was as a psychologist not not as a hippie um in india it was completely different he looked at the animal in a completely different way in a biological way which is similar to the way that we look at it so i think yeah there's a couple of things in there i don't think i don't think you can derive moral conclusions necessarily from these you know, so-called awakening experiences or changes in behavior. Like th these are peak experiences that, you know, they're fine, they're good. But I, I don't even think Hyatt was necessarily just about that. He was about a whole lot of other things as well. I mean, and, and as you were say, saying, Kevin, this, this kind of thing leads, leads you to go and sit in a cave and just do nothing, which Hyatt was a Nietzschean and that, he probably would have despised that outlook. Clearly he did. I don't know him, but I, 
I, I would imagine he didn't like it. And you can see that in all his books, particularly his later books, that they're about self-overcoming, transcendence of, of the self, all these Nietzschean themes. And what he'd done is he's, he's taken stuff from the East and he's using it to achieve these aims. Like he's the laboratory. That's the technology. I reject the moral part. I reject the Eastern morality. And I'm taking this technology, which is a, psycho a psychologist. I see it as a method of brain change. And, you know, with, with bits of transcendence and nice experiences, fine. And I'm using that to overcome myself. But in this, I also recognize the limitations of what it means to be human, a biological being. And one of my favorite quotes from him is just because I forget the unconscious doesn't mean it's going to forget me, which is why you see all these Eastern practitioners going around preaching, we're all one, we're all connected and all this stuff. And then they're, you know, they're fucking the Sangha. It's because you are a biological being. There's no getting away from these drives. And I think he was very honest about that when other people aren't. I think that's one of his biggest strengths, to be honest. So that, that, that's that's my breakdown of it. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that. It's just the thing about the the viewing everybody as one and uh, you know being against the separation. Once you've done all the practices, you start to see every everything as one. Uh, that's that's associated with one with the kind of like first initial stage of a, of any kind of awakening path or whatever is that kind of you're going from the separateness of yourself and stuck in your head or whatever or the you know ego or whatever people want to call it false ego or whatever whatever terminology they use and then you have some kind of awakening experience where you see the interconnectedness and everything's one and things like that but that's not the end of it that's kind of those are like the people you see on youtube who've had a like non-dual awakening or whatever they're doing the kind of Vedanta stuff or whatever it is or vipassana or whatever it is they've been doing and they're like their eyes are wide open and everything we're all just one man there's no separation they just sound ridiculous you know it's like <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. should love each other the same everyone's equal everything's the same that's an experience you'll have of seeing it like that every sensation and things just coming in it's all just what's the difference there's only one thing happening sensation of you sensation of it it's just all one on that level it is all one it's just one thing happening that doesn't it's not separate um but i mean are you really saying that you um are going to prefer uh, other people to your own family and loved ones you know like are you really saying that it, that that's true for you but it isn't true for you because you're a human as well so like you're you're bound to have preferences and if you have preferences you're, it's entails separation so like you know like uh it's it's all i know is when i when i first go into the stuff i remember that stage where you're like everything's one and like you, you become quite passive if you stay in that but eventually you just start you start with this it's more complicated than that there's, there's kind of the lesser you're the lesser in this greater um thing that's happening uh your understanding of what you were and your relationship to it was wrong before you have a bigger understanding now but then you'll end up transcending that understanding to another one and then that one to another one uh where the end is i don't know uh but it's yeah. co more complex it's more mysterious than simply it's all just one because in one sense it isn't you know it's like how could there be anything if it was all just one um and how does and anyway and even just from a sort of logical point of view 
if everything's interconnected in one, why does that mean that every that you should have the same opinion of every single thing? Think everything is equal, everything is um, equally important in the sense for you and your life. Well, things are going to be better or worse for you. You know, there's that level of it. There's another level of it. You know, which would be like the God's eye view, where everything's just equal, everything's just one. You know, it's whatever. So you can have that experience by doing the meditation, or whatever. But you can't live in that. Because that's not the only thing that's happening. There's like layers, or I don't know. It's just more complex. Yeah, I think um, um, just quickly on that, maybe the way uh, to put it is: so, so we're talking about this split brain stuff. So, so your self has evolved. You know, uh, we all have one. We all have, or at least we have the sense of one. And, and even with these experiences, that doesn't go away. So this this feeling of separateness kind of goes away, but 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 the sense i don't think it doesn't really go away it's useful you need it because as kevin's saying you've got to live <laughs> you can't just turn into a mollusk and sit there and absorb everything i don't you know i don't know um that's my feeling on it yeah i could be wrong maybe that that is what happens but um you know the, the other thing is that there's in eastern religion so i'll just quickly comment on a few things implicit in this statement. So from a Zen perspective, if you were to go up to a master and tell him everything is interconnected, like I know everything is interconnected, we are all one, he's he's going to tell you to fuck off and keep sitting, like because it's just another just another thing. It's just another thought. So so there's also is an element that even within the Eastern system, no master is going to let you indulge in something like that, because then you're still missing the point. That's not the experience. That's a statement. And it's kind of a, it's also a moral statement because it's implying something moral. Everything's one as opposed to everything selfishly not being one. But again, this is just a, it's just a set of sounds, a set of words. And that 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 in and of itself is dangerous because you're probably missing the opportunity to actually have quote unquote you know a spiritual experience. And there's also this thing implicit in particularly Indian mysticism, I think, of this ego death. Like you hear it all the time. Like people, I'm going to kill my ego, and you know I'm going to blow it apart and just you know i can't think of a more egotistical statement than that because uh, you know that's it's on another level but whatever this ego or id or character or self is it, it i don't think it really ever goes goes away <clears throat> what what does happen is it gets recontextualized and made a part of a crowd of different things whereas before it was ruling everything but it, it doesn't just disappear you're always going to have an ego you're always going to need to drink and eat as kevin says you're going to go and see your family and you're going to like your grandma more than some vagrant on the street and I, I you know i don't know maybe there are some masters who are so fully cooked that their brain doesn't work in that way but i would suggest that it's not going to be us probably and you know, it, the, the indulgence in statements like this will get in the way of your progress, even if, even on an Eastern path, it's going to get in the way.
is just a statement. And it's... I mean, what the guy, what the guy says in the, the comment, point. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. You know, it's like... It is a good, yeah, I don't want to seem know, dismissive, it, but it's, it, you know, it is still... Because he's put it in a right? strong way. So we're, we're just yeah. saying it, we're yeah. like unfolding it the other way, obviously. But I mean, what he's saying is like, a, it's an issue, it needs addressed because, um, I mean, why is that? It does seem strange. But I think you, it just seems strange because of a lot of the assumptions that we have and what what all this stuff means. It's not um, it's not actually there. And even some of the Eastern stuff, they don't they don't think all this. You know, I mean, even no, you're talking yeah. about Hinduism, but there's lots of the the weird tantra sects in Hinduism that are um, very different and much more, um, you would say like negative and about separation and stuff like that. Yeah. And advice kind of the methods they use. Yeah, less less flowery. And even as I was saying, you know, Zen Zen itself would would never tolerate such a statement uh, because it's not what you're trying to tap into. But I, I do think, yeah, as you say, it is it is a reasonable question, but I, I do think where he was coming from was not particularly spiritual in a way. I mean, he's he's, yeah. he's also reacting to the uh, the interview that we're playing clips of. So like, yeah. is pretty yeah, strong. Yeah, he has pretty strong, <laughs> he's strong in, that, yeah. in that. And also yeah. it's a different time. So that's like the guy, I mean, if you're writing that question now you're living in internet culture war world so you're thinking things this is like you're thinking things in a different way than people did then because i was saying this in like early 2000s and um it was uh he's kind of reacting against the kind of uh thought um thoughtless culture that's happening at that time you know like no one's really thinking about these things so he's been kind of extreme sounding because he's yeah. he's he's reacting against the kind of complacency of everybody. Um, whereas now more people are thinking about these things and it's more common to see that people are, you know, going tribes and the whole tribes believe one thing and then switch to another thing. And, that, you know, everyone's seen that in their daily and believing weird things. I haven't seen that in their daily life now. Whereas before he's like kind of talking about it as a sort of um, uh, diagnosis of a of a animal's behavior that's wrong or that's unhelpful. Um, and that some of them can improve themselves, but not all of them can't because they're, yeah. they're animals. But, you know, that's a difference, right? So he's, his epistemological starting point is different to a spiritual person. So he's looking at it more like a psychologist, like he's looking at people as having pathologies and all these different things. So, so in that regard, I, I would imagine it'd be easy to just notice uh, how out of control most most people are. And then the obvious conclusion you're going to draw is, well, in terms of what I'm trying to achieve, they're pretty much useless. Pretty much. I mean, that, that's, and, that's an I honest mean, uh, conclusion, right? Do you think? He's unabashedly an elitist as well. You know, yeah. he's like, he yeah, yeah. calls himself an elitist. So, like, that's what the guy pick, is picking up on. So, I mean, he is. Um, he's he's not he doesn't hide it. So that's just a preference in the same way as yeah. somebody's preference would be to not have that. The opposite of that. So he's uh, Nietzschean, right? Just he's Nietzschean. Preferences. Yeah, you know the book. I, you, I think um, so. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I mean, has his point of view. Yeah, and you know, it's it's. So, so I think what's hard for people to put together is the idea of how. Okay, so a Nietzschean is an elitist. Um, it's it's about power. It's about domination, warfare, superiority, all these different things. Then you have the spiritual exercises, which is, I guess, what this uh, gentleman is saying. So bioenergetic Zen meditation, 
so how do these two things come together? So you, you don't have a particularly spiritual outlook. I think where it comes from is if, if you're a Nietzschean, at some level, you're acknowledging hierarchy. You are acknowledging good and bad um, or <laughs> people who are good at something, people that are terrible at, at something, uh, beautiful and ugly, all the various dichotomies that someone like Nietzsche would talk about. Um, so, so I think maybe the difficulty is coming of, so, okay, so if you sit there in meditation and you have an awakening experience or you're doing these bioenergetic exercises and you're losing tension and you're all the different things that are going on, then how do you embrace something like Nietzscheism, Nietzscheanism, which as, as you say, it's, it's a good question. It is a good question. But I think that that's where he was coming from. He was coming from a, uh, the perspective of a psychotherapist, and he was using these techniques, which have impacts on the way that we behave and the ability to rewire ourselves and reorient ourselves. And in that sense, self-overcome, which is what Nietzsche was talking about, essentially, was self-overcoming. And he, he used these things as a kind of technology to achieve the aims of elitism to make it more accessible or to, to try and generate more individuals who would be elite to try and get the work out there to achieve those aims. But he was, I, I, as far as I can glean from his writings, he was concerned, you know, about those aims, as you were saying, Kevin, about elitism, uh, about power, about, about overcoming the, um, what I guess what he would say is a rather sorry state of man, which is very true. I mean, you just have to look around you, right? Of course it is. Also, it's when he says elitist, he's, he's not talking about the elites. Levin talks of it now. He doesn't mean them, that they're the best. He means that certain individuals, and they can be from any area apart from life. I mean, even in that, in that last episode, the clips we're playing, he's talking about you get these people at the lower, lower end or the higher, higher end. It's often in the middle of society that you don't get these type of people. Um, for whatever reason, uh, so he's when he says this, it's just about um, yeah, it's self the self overcoming Nietzschean thing is the best way to understand where he's coming from for definite. Uh, mm -hmm. Nietzsche himself, it's clear he's had an awake some type of um, what we'd call like what least what people call awakening or enlightenment experience. It's clear, like when in his writing, his, his understanding of subject object. Uh, yeah. In some of the later books, it's obvious he has, and it's just like you know the whole Zarathustra book is clearly a, it's like a, to me it just sounds like a Kundalini experience verbalized sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And um, so I mean it's clear he's had these things, and uh, he still thought what he thought. So. Uh, yeah. You get this the same person, same type of person who's a monk, Christian monk in the monastery in the Medi Middle Ages. Uh, would interpret the same kind of experiences in a in a very different way. Yeah, uh, according again, to a moral the between the concepts they were using, they would have the yeah the the yeah. interplay between the physical experiences and the moral concepts, and then they'll try and shape them into the symbol structure that they're using. And they're in a you have a moral um, set of opinions or or ways of ways it's done in that tradition or, or beliefs and. Um, they are going to be different different places and part of the like doing the work like the highest work 
is you break up the rigidity of these things. Uh, but you might not, it might cause problems for you in your life because you're going to, if your life is organized in such a way where you, like if you did live in a monastery and you start having these experiences, it breaks up a lot of that um, emotional structures that you had that are kind of rigidly in place. You can't really do much about it. You can't, you have to kind of figure out a way to go along with the society around you, which is thinking differently from you, which is separate from you. So like, this is the kind of, um, uh, people have been dealing with these things forever, I think, yeah. you know, different groups of people doing it in different ways. And then some of them grow big into, into religion, some of them don't, some of them are dead ends, some of them go for thousands of years. You know, it's, I think it's much messier and um, not random, random's not the right word, but it's much more messy and, and uh, unpredictable these things i think than like some people like think you know like or like yeah. the traditionalists like to think that it's just there's the one set and it's going through time and it's kind of rigid i think this is all just fantasy looking back uh yeah. much more messy some things could have taken off other things didn't um people are doing things now that might take off later we don't know uh some things are a lot of things are dead ends probably a lot of um teachers appear who have insights into things other people don't have and some of them disappear no one knows no one cares about or just only a few people cared about yeah i'm sure of that yeah some of them become religions some of them yeah, don't. yeah yeah and the other dichotomy that we should probably talk about is is the idea that the awakening experience probably doesn't have a lasting impact on character as such or at least hyatt believe that so again, you're getting this dichotomy, as you were saying. So, so you have an experience, and you can you can conceptualize that with symbols, as you were saying, in, in many different ways. And the, the cultures at the times at the time that the realization was was had um, did so in their pe peculiar lot of symbols and ideas and concepts. Um, so, so for I think. Um, I, I just think that if if you look at the animal scientifically, more scientifically, in, in a materialist way, which is kind of what Hyatt uh, was doing, that then you're not going to view it through the prism of religion in any way. You're, you're kind of more looking at it as, okay, well, this is how the brain reacts in this situation. If the body moves in a certain way, does it loosen up a certain behavior? And, and as, you're, as you're helping people, which is what he did as a psychotherapist, using body therapy, uh, doing it on yourself, practicing it with his, uh, you know, Israel Rigardi and all these various people, you're going to notice different things about how the human being as an animal can change in certain ways, how maybe in other ways it can't change. Um, but also that when you use these exercises, they also seem to induce awakening experiences. But if you're seeing all that from a scientific point of view or a point of view of a materialist where you're looking at cause and effect, that, that I just think you're not going to uh, be wrapped up in the rel religiosity and, and the symbols of religion. And I totally agree. The more, the more you look at different religions and how they've interpreted things completely differently. 
it just really proves the point that the experiences themselves can be really twisted any which way, <laughs> any any way you kind of want to, I think. Um, ha having said that, for sure, I think like it's not going to turn you into a full-blown psychopath like if you do have these experiences and you're looking at yourself from a certain angle it's not like you're going to become Hannibal Lecter and I don't think that Hyatt was pushing that at all um you're yeah, much much less yeah. likely to become do the bad things because yeah. a lot of them are just tension out of control so you're not going to yeah. do the bad things you might have done I love what you say that Hyatt was like a proto edge lord, which is a really important part of him as well, right? Like it is because the way he put things, it seems quite confronting, but I think that that's a very deliberate tactic employ. Because um, yeah, you see all the edge lords on the internet. Like Hyatt was, I think you were saying this is like the first one. <laughs> he he yeah, did I mean, that in all like his some books. Some of his aphorisms and that, yeah. I mean, like there's like really concise aphorisms that are just like they're good and make you think, but also designed to wind people up. He's like in Scotland. There's a phrase. Um, he's a wind-up merchant. <laughs> yeah. That's what he does. He likes yeah, winding yeah. people up. Yeah. So uh, that's part of it. I mean, it's not just that. It's not just that, but it's that kind of um, uh, what did you call it? rascal guru kind of thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, where they're saying things and going against the rules and stuff like that. That's his type. There is the other type, who's the loving type, the nursing type, and people come to them for wisdom and the nice man with the grey beard and they feel warm around him. That's another type. You know, there's just different types. So put, to go back to the comment, it's it's um, forgetting that there are other types of these guys. Some of them don't even do deal with people at all. They just disappear into the woods or the, yeah. the mountain or the cave or whatever. They like that's another type. Um, some of them are probably living apparently normal lives, doing real things, and not even talking about the stuff like this. They're doing things that's having the effects that they want in some kind of normal physical technological way or whatever mm. um that's equally could be possible so yeah. i think that's all that's that's all it is is um he is the type that we're not used to seeing we're just used to and also we we're just used to seeing when you when you see a, a spiritual type of person they tend to be kind of you know positive and meek and nice and stuff uh sometimes in a good way sometimes in a weak way um so we kind of, if you see the opposite of that, then that person can't be interested in spiritual stuff. How is this yeah. a dick? How does he feel a dick? How do they still <laughs> hate people and they get annoyed by yeah. people? I mean, Hyatt has a, has a book called The Yoga of Hate. It's all about yeah. how to use your hate to, in, to um, as fuel for self-development. Yeah, good book too. He, uh, he didn't run away from Amazing. stuff. That's what defines him, right? Like he never, like, he's like, oh no, we've got to forget about hate and like all these that's, very, that's a Nietzsche, very that's human a emotions thing. yeah it's a yeah, Nietzschean yeah. thing it's the psychological honesty of like the bad that people are fueled and run by the bad stuff that we would like to hide from ourselves and instead of pretending some of those traditions pretend it's not there some of them work with it some of them uh you know they have like a lot of the moral structures are intended to prevent people acting out in those impulses you know whether it's consciously realized that's what they're doing or not um but some people just have a just or just and Nietzsche's like this it's just the you just can't look away from the true thing no matter how horrible it is mm. um and then to use it as fuel sublimation you know you're taking the bad um, emotions and you're making good things out of them yeah uh you're making yourself better out of them so that's like 
that's a lot of his thing. And also, he's it's it's also for how it's marketing. He's being like that, so he gets people who are, he he um, repels the wrong type of person who's into that kind of stuff and and appeals to another type of person. So like you know he's selecting for the type of people who approach him. Remember, guys like this are getting hit by emails and stuff all the time by some, especially in this field, by some real crazy people um, constantly. So they they're they're saying things to get rid of those people and to attract another group of people as well. So that's just another level of it. That's not the only thing they're doing. Um, you know, like if you do that, you have to say things to to just for um, practicalities for uh, time management. Yeah. You have to yeah. put off the wrong type of people, so you're not dealing with the, all the the really flaffy people. The so kings <laughs> it makes yeah, it makes kings. sense that somebody would be more extreme the other way to yeah. to do that. You know, it's like you can go over the top the other way, which you know maybe he's doing sometimes as well. And yeah, it would make you contemptuous of people, right? If you're just dealing with fucking crazies constantly, you would, you would be contemptuous, absolutely. Bounty, yeah. Bounty. I mean, like in this field, you, you get the most like people who are just absolutely walked out, you know. Um, you know, the ten percent of people or whatever are serious and and doing something with it, and then the rest are just either it's just a crutch or a you know make them to make them feel nice. It's like a sort of therapy kind of thing, a little mm. therapy hobby on the side, or they're just completely crazy and and um, there's nothing you can do for them. Not yeah. not like people working in this stuff can't. Somebody can, but not, not as. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, I think he uh he was, you know, uh, obviously I've worked with one of his students and I've I've heard stories. And it was you know, he wasn't a bad guy either. So you'd read his books and you're like, "Wow, look at this guy. He must be like <laughs> must be some evil well, genius." I, yeah, but he's not I actually him, like he that. Was like, very warm. Yeah, when I met yeah. him, he was very warm, very funny, very like really amazing, nice energy and uh, welcoming and um like great to be around nothing like his his um, much more uh, abrasive personality in the writing yeah. um but i'm sure he's could be different to different people so like this is the point if um especially if someone like him is so psychologically acute uh yeah. that you would do things different ways for different people um you know so it's uh it's, uh, like you know i definitely also heard him say things really sharp to someone really cutting deep into their personal bullshit that's hurtful to the person but it's true you know this is the point it's true it's not like destructiveness for nothing it's tr what you're saying is true what you're saying in the in the clip about most of the people in the middle of society are just like lost in symbols and that and a few people at the very bottom the rough in the streets and a few people at the very top are maneuvering and work making things happen at the top and controlling things that are faceless and we don't know um it's probably true you know it's like it's it's horrible it's like doesn't sound um inclusive of everybody or whatever but it's true it's true so what, what are you gonna do about it yeah yeah there was um his book the psychopath's bible obviously has like the most edgelord title of all time um <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> even, the know, I, yeah, even the subtitle yeah yeah totally um and, and or the extreme what, individual. You mean call it says extreme. extreme. You know? <laughs> it's it's almost extremists. kind of cringe, to be honest. I was cringing. Yeah. No, time. it is now. Yeah. It is now. Yeah. But yeah, even then, yeah. And yeah, yeah but I mean, it's, again, it's market. And he yeah. even says in, a, in an interview somewhere that's like, that's for a certain type of person, that book. Yeah. Uh, and it's like kind of guy, you know, it's like, 
it's young guys with a certain mentality and um uh it doesn't mean that you stay in that that's where like it's like a first stage people also get mixed up with all this in this kind of work where they think everything's true at every stage in time for every person so certain books are right for you at certain times and that's the way it is and then you transcend that and you move on to the next thing and but you have to go through those phases you can't just jump to the correct phase or what you think is the correct one stuff like that that's yeah. just how it works so i mean he's got different books he's got that book that's for one type of person he's got a book on like t- western tantra you know a book on tantra which is different and a cd that goes with that where it's with, like with a, with a lady so it's like a very different uh, audience those book that book and it's written in a different way it's more nice you know it's not in the aggressive kind of way um they're for different audiences memory's a publisher as well so they're like publishing books for different people you know they have a marketing idea of like this is for these who who each product is for you know they wouldn't have been in business if they weren't doing that also and that that speaks to like the flexibility and the chameleon like 
aspect to him of changing things for different people. So yeah, yeah. Uh, this these things shouldn't be surprising, and it shouldn't be surprising that he's like some people's experience him as mega nice and friendly, and other people found him horrible and nasty. Yeah, he's maybe just saying the truth to everybody. Yeah, yeah. It, um, you know, I mean, I, I was just on on that book. It does seem nasty on the outside, but if you really think about it. If you if you think about it aside from the edge lord uh, aesthetic and you know all the other you know, seemingly nasty stuff that he says in there, there's there's actually not really anything in it that's encouraging any negativity at all. It's all just full of excellent exercises that you can use to stop stop being a wanker. Um, so there's nothing negative in it, even though it seems as if like he's worshipping like egotism and like all this kind of evil non-enlightened stuff it's not really the case and even the i guess you call them aphorisms it it kind of reminds me of uh i think it's the book called is desmond morris the naked ape you read that before and and this other book i know it's but i haven't read it it's kind of like he's it seems negative but what what he's doing is he's just describing what people do so it's almost like he's saying, well, this is this is what they're going to do. So if you want to be in business or anything else, I mean, this is just how it works. So if you want to live, you know, I don't I don't think that's an endorsement of it. I mean, I could be wrong on that. I don't think he's endorsing. It's, the it's almost commonness. like he's trying to bring up. He's trying to get you to accept that that's what's happening outside, whether you like it or not. Yeah, and um, you're probably are doing, doing things for their own. And yeah. you're doing it too. And he's made you so it's making it conscious for you that, oh, I'm doing this too. But it's also giving you a method for transcending it. So you're not stuck in that. It's not about like 40 laws of power to, to like use all yeah. these tricks against it. It's Being not like that. Even though he, yeah. It might seem like that if somebody first reads it, but it actually isn't. It's you overcome the need for, because the need for those things that people have is like inferiority complex or whatever is driving those things. But if you do the work, you won't have that. So you, you just be using the, your understanding of the way people behave, you're just using as a tool now. Not, it's not like an emotional need for you, not a crutch. Yeah. It just becomes pro- useful practically to know what people are going to do. And um, uh, and there seems to be just a, yeah that aspect of you can't transcend transcend what you're already doing if you don't know what you're already doing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's it's worshiping malevolence. It's more an instruction manual. Like it's yeah, as you say, it's got no like moral backing to it it's more just a set of observations uh i think so yeah i think the the whole thing about him being you know this malevolent machiavellian guy is probably overblown i mean i don't don't know him i don't really pick it up in his books personally um but yeah i you know um these are all yeah it, it, it was a good question i did have to think about it a bit is and, and you know there's a lot in that question actually about how uh you know people see things differently and how awakening experiences can have moralities hanging off them and you know you where you're so, like, coming you know, from you, and why it matters <clears throat> i mean you you might know more about this but in like in buddhism my understanding is that the not in zen but the one of the other ones that they have there's like three kind of things you need to training basically there's like there's the wisdom uh wisdom training you know the seeing yeah, things as yeah, they yeah. really are there's the concentration you know uh, training so it's doing all the meditation things they bring up the nice states and weird experiences 
experiences, peak experiences, all those things. And then there's the morality, so it's just how to behave in normal life and that. So they're understanding that these things are separate. So they, the wisdom, they don't just have the wisdom training, do the meditations and you'll be you'll behave well. They don't just have that. They you have to do the morality stuff as well. Yeah. So you they 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 know that they're not that by just seeing things clearly won't make you necessarily a good person. They all, that's built into it. Um yeah. and it's built into like the Western versions of this too. You know, the Christian mystical versions are like this too. You know, they, they have there's the, the different layers to it. You know, they're not I don't think they're um and I mean a lot of this kind of seems like censorship about stuff back then to as now. I think was them knowing that if you go too far in some of this stuff without uh, it can cause it can cause bad that it can separate you from the being well behaved and their definition of well behaved if you get too far into some of the stuff. So I think even a lot of these things are um, sort of like safety valves and things and mechanisms to to integrate those three different ways, the three different things you need to to develop you know the seeing things clearly the um meditation focus skills and then the the how you behave and then how, however you know the different traditions would ex would explain that so yeah. i mean it's not as yeah. who's saying these things are separate i mean we're not really saying any different we're, we're just pointing out this is what how, how it all works yeah yeah we we are we're not also not easterners you know that's another thing that people underestimate i think so i think yeah we're, we're kind of you, you comment on it uh, a lot on this, you know, we're different. Uh, so that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I agree. The ethics and, um, you know, the precepts and all those rules, they almost have a practical use. So it's not like they have a thing in themselves necessarily, but it's, as you say, it's, it's something to ground you or to uh, offer you something to hold on to as you go through the process, because it can be quite, uh, it can upend you, it can ma make you quite neurotic. So you probably do want something to hang on to. Uh, but, but having said that as well, uh, you know, I, I think we're different. Like we're, we're way more, way more fucked up than probably some dude in a Japanese village 600 years ago, I think. <laughs> a lot of the people I know are pretty messed up. I mean, I could be wrong about that, Kevin. Maybe in Scottish villages, everyone was okay. I'm, I'm not sure, but I feel like uh, what we need, we need something different. Like we need maybe some, I, I don't know, just a hunch that I've got. I don't know. Scottish villages yeah. fucked up 600 days ago. Never mind 600 yeah. years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. the, but like, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the West starting from a different place people are more individualist as well so that plays into the any kind of talk of overcoming the ego is different for a westerner than an easterner because that the whole the individualist concept is different in the west or like in modern west anyway so like you're you in one sense there's more work to do and people it's harder for people but another it's less because you 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 some of the, the methods they need to break free of the community mindset in order to have awakenings, it's not the same. You don't necessarily need it in the West, so it's it's again, it's it's complex, and uh, I don't think there's a a strict uh, correlation between progress in any of these things and your your behavior and, and just your general, not even just your moral behavior, but just your general functioning in real life. Can you yeah. function in real life or not? 
Morality is a bit dangerous too, because morality can become a crutch in and of itself. So, so you can you can hang on to morality to cope. I see this all the time, like people with all these morals. Um, when the morals are being used to cover up something about the person that they don't like, um, I see that constantly. And I also see a certain kind of person, uh, you know, talking about the uh, left brain, right brain dichotomy who may be genuinely religious or, or very earnestly involved in a path. And they kind of go through the funny stage of being obsessed with the rules and regulations, like really that becomes the path itself. And it's funny to think about just in a left brain, right brain context, because I would have thought of all the religions, Buddhism would be the one that was trying to get at something a bit more right brain or a, at least a balance between the two. And I, I see people all the time adopt a moral structure as their primary thing. Like it's more about the morals than it is the practice. The, the two things are not the same. And so morals can get in your way as well. They can be quite, they can be like a, a crutch. You can use them to cover things up about yourself that you're going to need to face to actually make progress uh, in these paths. I think that uh, you need to be careful of them. And you, uh, what I see a lot of as well is people accusing others using the morality of the thing that they've adopted. I see that, well, this guy's going to Buddhist hell because he masturbated once or something and, you know, all these quite ridiculous conversations uh, based on a you know a medieval indian set of morals which to me is just the most absurd thing possible but what what is interesting about that to me is i would really like to know where that's coming from in that person i'd like to know that person and i i guarantee there would be certain things about their character that would be making them do that, that they're not aware of. And the morals are getting in the way of them understanding that element of themselves and thus getting in the way perhaps of any true progress in that spiritual path, which is interesting just relating back to Hyatt because Hyatt was the kind of guy where he'd say, well, before you go and do the hippy dippy spiritual stuff it's probably better to get you get to know yourself first because if you don't get to know yourself then these higher levels of spiritual attainment are going to be more difficult to access because you'll just be going around like a dumb robot behaving badly basically so so i think you've got to be careful of morals like they do serve a, a purpose but in in the sense that i'm talking about you know i I see them used in very, very human ways, very unimpressive ways, <laughs> very regularly. It's, you know, it's, it's just disappointing to me that people focus on that side of things. Like, oh, did he follow the moral rules? Did he did he do the morality right? You know, did he wear the right fucking bit of clothes or whatever? You know, I I just think that that's the wrong approach, and I think that can get in the way to be honest, becoming obsessed with that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, really I mean, the way. Uh, after a certain stage, you don't, you stop caring about that stuff anyway because you're you're already more or less doing the right things. You would think so. Or you, you would think you're so. functioning better. You, you don't need to think about the rules. For a certain type of person, they need that, that, has, they need that structure at the start, I think. And um, yeah. 
some people are really worried about things they'll do if they don't have an external structure <laughs> um, prodded with constraining a them. pitchfork yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so yeah it's uh, maybe they like that maybe they like it the thought of it who knows but also like even if the oh yeah some of them like it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's why they do it but the even if, like some of the more even like proper some of the christian mystics at the far end of their practices they're saying things like they're now beyond morality but they they have to be very careful about how they say this you know they're not they don't say it bluntly but there there's like debate at the high end of that where they're saying like are you are you just have you become just like god or are you saying you are god you know and if you're saying you are god that was heresy but if you're saying you've become like him you know like, um uh and all these kind of things um they so like they've got to the point where they're like i can do what i want because i'm aligned with the whole now so what i'm doing what i want is basically what the whole wants you know like Mm, that's a very dangerous thing to say for them (laughs) but for yeah and other traditions obviously you can they can say that and then uh or they can think that and not saying it's what's true what's not um but it's more you transcend the that, that rule-based kind of morality and it's more just uh, the Buddhist thing about it. it's like skill living skillfully is one way of saying it and uh, you're uh, the, the behavior changes have, are built into the brain and body changes you've done through doing the practices although the old guys wouldn't say it like that probably but a guy like Hyatt is thinking in terms of brain change yeah yeah so it doesn't matter whether brains are the cause of all this thing, but they, it's definitely the there will be brain change if you do the things that 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 um, there are real permanent changes in your in your consciousness and behavior. There will also be brain change, whichever way around it is, you can debate. Um, so the a way they're transcending the monolith, which is again Nietzsche's thing. That's Nietzsche's exact thing. You're you're overcoming the model. You're creating your own values yeah i mean whether you disagree with that or not but that's that's his point and that's um where hyatt's come from yeah. so like i mean a part of it maybe yeah. he's just de- he's part of his game is demonstrating to people that you could be beyond these things and say what you want and um you don't need to be restricted by these things yeah 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 he was he was nietzschean wasn't he clearly um okay that was his starting point um i mean people also say but nietzsche sure. was a very friendly nice person you know he wasn't bad to people you know, he wasn't yeah, like he a wasn't. nasty person he was friendly yeah. and probably good to dancing and you know that kind of you know like it's, it's quite cheerful yeah yeah so it's not like um it's hard to it's hard to put these things together uh again because again there's subtlety to people like at every moment you're encountering something different there's no way to just say this is what that person was. I don't think. I think that's, you know, you're always facing something different, um, in a way. There's no consistency to human character. It's far more complex than than that. And and it is. It's it's the place of the moralist, of the lowest kind of the moralist, or what you know what people call moral moral fags. <laughs> online to just get a book read some rules and just go there you go Nietzsche was a very very naughty man see it says so in my book 
He was extremely naughty and no one should read what Nietzsche said. The other day, I, I came across someone criticizing Max Stoner. Uh, again, on moral lines. Like I read, my, I've got my little book of fucking morals here. Therefore, this guy is a bad person. Like he is objectively has an essence of naughty badness and you shouldn't touch him. It's, it's that kind of morality that is like, it, that's unpalatable, I think, to anyone like Hyatt and Nietzsche. And Stoner. Well, I mean, Stoner, yeah, Stoner has the, he's like, it's built into his thing that, that what, that, that approach doesn't work by definition because he'll just call that kind of moral stuff spooks anyway. Yeah. 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 And, it, and it's Those kind of concepts and that that they're throwing in. It's, it's like what I was saying before. It's just, it's that person's character that they're not aware of that they're covering all these little bits of themselves up with moral proclamations which is probably reading Hyatt and I've probably taken this away from him why I'm so skeptical of morals like in in this way like I, I always I'm always looking for the character underneath that's more that's more of the information that's valuable to me and and once you start to look at people in this way, you know, morals morals in a way start to become less important because you just it's like this guy's covering it up, covering this up because he can't get a girlfriend. Therefore, everyone that has sex, you know, outside of wedlock is going to go to hell. You know, that kind of thing. It's always like a cover up. I find like there's always something in the person's character that they they're not being honest with, or they they have this kind of common spite in what they are as people. And they just want to go around and condemn everyone because they've just got this quite unpleasant character. And, and the yeah, more I mean, that's a lot of the culture war stuff is just this, oh, isn't it? Totally. People are, have their own issue and they accuse everybody of the thing that they're doing that they don't like about themselves and they project it and they're like, it's all, it's none of it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not, Lloyd a, knew all this, you know, everyone yeah. like knew it. And then, but we're all pretending it's it's not happening now because somehow we know more because we're connected on the internet more. Yeah. 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 So morals, be careful. <laughs> morals are bad. That's what some people think we just say. They're bad. Stay away from them. They're bad. Yeah. 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 yeah you, you, know, you don't want to go around necessarily hurting people, I guess, do you? Unless you're a warrior or something and that's what your job is. You go around and become the neo Achilles or a new Napoleon. I don't know. I don't know what someone like that would do. Caesar, but, uh, please, not Napoleon. Caesar. You need to go back to your, you need to go back to your Spengler. You get I haven't even started him yet. I've got to get to it. Road. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you know need to, you don't need to read him. You just set the book as a, as a magical talisman in your room and you, right. You right. imbibe oh. the, yeah. <laughs> the essence of the book yeah and then and do a thread on it of course afterwards also it makes a good it makes a good weapon it's quite <laughs> quite fat my one if you get the, yeah. the single volume version but no yeah. he's like he's good he's he's good and um some of the stuff about like the hyatt stuff and um uh i think he would have been i would he would have been uh um friendly to the spengler analysis i think because he'd be he does seem to talk about how things are just declining and there's going to be another dark ages and mm. um uh you know and the the it could there is potential for extreme technological change and improvement so how it kind of kind of had a bit of that tim Leary stuff about you know the kind of extreme 
uh, techno utopian libertarian stuff, but his was a very elitist version of it. Some people were going to get the technologies and make themselves better using the technologies, but most people wouldn't get it. They wouldn't have access to it, they wouldn't have the money or whatever. So that still may come true within a declining civilization point of view. Mm. Uh, that there's like, you know, things don't just stop and collapse, they like decline, and there will be pockets of things improving for different people, but it's not going to be some um, happy, clappy. Uh, Star Trek, everybody in one big federation, happy with each other yeah. thing, you know? Uh, where everyone's interconnected and one. Yeah. Yeah, that happens, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the, like, the all is one thing. I mean, in one sense, yeah, of course. But in another sense, um, why, what would be the point in anything if everything was already one and the, you were born and the problem is you forgot that you were one and then once you remember you're one, then, then everything's fixed again? Well, what was the point yeah. in anything? What's yeah. the point? Why why start why start this thing whoever start whatever started it for? Yeah. Doesn't make yeah. sense. Um so well, it's because it's there's always it's, a reason for things to appear separate. Yeah, yeah. And and be yeah. separate in a certain way. There's only that's what it is, you know. Yeah. I'm not saying anything yeah. new here, it's so like No. Yeah. No, it's what I was saying before, because first of all, it's it's a linguistic statement trying to describe something as non-verbal and non-linguistic. And instantly, as soon as you do that, you get into silly territory, right? Like a, you, you, it's impossible to describe these things. So, so you and, can't and say all is one without. You can't say the three words without separating. Okay, you say yeah. the word a word. You say the word all. Okay, so now you're saying you're distinct separating because all it's all one. things from and some one. things. So yeah. yeah, it is. Well, you're saying it is as opposed to there's no <laughs> one is one is yeah. opposed to, like you've already done it. Yeah. Uh, you're pointing towards the thing, which is, yeah. you know, I think we would all agree on that, that there's the that kind of thing. So interconnection of things, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, like before you start all this kind of like how it's practices and that you think that you are the, you don't realize this, but you think you are the words in your head and your feeling of you in your head is the main thing. And then the world is small and you're the bit, you're the big thing and the world is the small thing. You know, you're the main thing going on, and then you do the practices that, and then it kind of flips, and you realize that actually the world the bigger is the main thing, and you're the smaller thing in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so you realize you're part of something bigger, but that's not the same thing as saying always one and everything's the same. It's not quite the same. Yeah. Um, it's not the same thing. So it's like it's it's something else. But uh, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, qualified if, to understand it. If if you look at it from a um. Buddhist perspective, and maybe this might help. So, so they've got a what do they call it? Um, a dependent arising, which which is is their idea of everything being non-separate and empty, um, which is which is an experience. This points to an experience, like a I suppose a mindful experience and realization that it's the idea that everything is interconnected and nothing is of itself separate from anything else it's kind of difficult to describe but that's basically what it means but i don't think any buddhist not that i'm aware of in the literature has ever said therefore you just you whatever you is the the awareness that is there just disappears completely into everything else like you don't, you don't disappear. The realization is not disappearing. The realization is a realization. But you, you know, they still go out, collect arms, drink water, and they die. 
they still had that experience, the monks. They yeah, because even the moment of fruition, the, the nirvana moment where people like can disappear and re you reappear again and you're back in the body and as a person. So it's like you're, you're, it's dependent on you having been this person in the first place to have that experience of disappearing. Absolutely. <laughs> can, Which is know, dependent. Like, so like, a, yeah, the, well, you the don't selfless. You don't have an experience of disappearing. You you just realize you did disappear when you come back. You have that, like you just yourself disappears and then reappears. And only yeah. once it reappears, you go, oh, I wasn't there for a second. But I mean, yeah. you have that every night anyway. That's actually what deep, the deep sleep is <laughs> like. It's just it's yeah, not. Yeah, right. You're not conscious. You're not conscious either side of it, like you are if you're doing meditation. It seems to be you have to do the meditation to have that, for in order to have the lasting benefit in you. Although yeah. sleep is a lasting benefit, maybe back in the day, her ancient ancestors, uh, sleep was enough. You woke up and awakened every morning, literally awakened every morning. Yeah, I think. Or metaphorically awakened. Both. Yeah, yeah, I think they were they were closer to nature. That's got to count for something, for sure. I, I also, you know, just on dreams. So the Tibetans have a yoga of dream and sleep. They think that that's like the most powerful type of mindfulness you can do. And they do like, I think it's something like four or five sessions per night, or maybe may less than that. Maybe it's like three or four of kind of interrupted stages of sleep where you kind of wake up and visualize something and try to remain mindful going into the sleep state. And uh, they have it in Zen as well, interestingly, which I actually only found out about recently. So if you're a super serious meditator, um, you you will do something similar to that. Like you will you will try to stay awake, you know, not wait, awake, but mindful during sleep, which is you know is interesting. Uh, I don't think I'd bother, but uh, yeah, I was like I did. There must be some like deep. There must be some really basic level of some something is aware of something, mm. even when you're sleeping. You know. Um, but you obviously can't, you have no access to that. It's obviously here now all the time, all during the day, but you can't access it when you're uh, directly. And um, the, like if you, some of the meditation techniques you go into, you can get, a, you, can, you can go really deep down. It seems to like, for me, it seems like you went deep down into layers of your brain and then you're like, you have a, I've had like an awareness of an, a, pre, a presence around me, which afterwards I was thinking, Oh, that's actually maybe just you're just at that level of your brain, that lizard brain, reptilian awareness, you know, just survival awareness that's really low down in your brain. Mm. Uh, that you can actually you can slowly get down to there and like consciously be get touch that consciously. Whereas normally it's just there and you're this part of our brain that we're talking about this doesn't have access to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um so there's something like that going on on just even a biological like I'm not reducing it just to biology, but that's part of it. Mm. Um Let's say just band the lap is a psychophysical way of looking at things. And, uh, yeah. you know, where you just, you, you, the, there's always the what you normally think of as the mind stuff and the body stuff at the same time, and you can't separate them ever. Even at this high level of things, they're still both. You need both somehow. Yeah. You need the separation to know that, to have, uh, you know. Yeah. Which, you know, these systems all have. So for Zen, it's very simple. It's literally sitting with a very particular kind of posture and that's literally all they do you know and of course the breathing as well uh and obviously in tibetan buddhism they've got all sorts of exotic yogas and different things that they do along with the study and mindfulness 
So yeah, all these systems have the integrity of the organism uh, as a base on which everything else is uh, built upon, I suppose you could say, or uh, the the integrity of the the organism is critical to have the realizations that they're seeking. Maybe a better way to exactly right. It always yeah. starts there, you know, like the asanas in the, the yoga stuff. Always like it starts with something to do with the body. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not like it's clearly required to transcend it, obviously, because it has to be there for you to be transcending it. But uh, transcending it doesn't really mean what we think it means, and that comes back to well, it's your but you your bodies they're going to be different from somebody else in a different circumstance. So there's going to be differences. So there's already separation and difference, and you're bound to prefer some things to other things. Yeah. By making having the experiences, going through uh, doing practices all your life and progressing like that or whatever, you're going to preferences will change, but you still have some. Mm. Yeah, you still have like I guarantee there's a some kind of food any kind of Indian guru type guy won't eat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some, but some of them will do anything. They'll break any of the the, law, the rules to prove the point that they're beyond the morality now. Human flesh. Uh, it doesn't mean they're doing anything <laughs> bad. Is yeah. it? It's like a modern Western thing that if you're beyond morality, you must be doing bad things. But you're not immoral. You're amoral. Yeah, amoral. Exactly. Yeah. With I forget who said it. I think it was someone on the old forum. There's no reason you would be going around doing bad things. You know, there's like yeah. there's, there's no there's no purpose to it. It doesn't. Usually, people are doing those things because of they have some kind of emotional or physical sens sensory structures in place that are compelling them to do it that they haven't looked at and they haven't worked mm. they haven't undone themselves in yeah. sort of terminology yeah yeah so they need they need the morals to control their low dog behavior i, I forget who it was it was someone on the old forum they said be they they were amoral with integrity I love that. I forget who that was, but that, that was the best way to, to say it. It was amoral with integrity. <laughs> I thought that, that really summed it up well. The proper position. Well, I don't think we're going to get to the clips. I think we've we've just done a listener question episode. But good questions. Yeah, that was good. Great questions. Yeah. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Should do that more. Um, if we can yeah, get I mean, some people no, to ask I've heard a few people... questions. <laughs> I've heard a few people discussing the like the the difference between the moral, the the behavior of the person and the being enlightened or whatever, uh, but not that many. You know, there's still there's still a lot of the kind of new age boomer kind of mentality that they, these are just enlightened super sage wise wise sage men that don't do anything wrong when they become enlightened and they they are definitely a vegan and they're definitely don't fight and they definitely you know mm -hmm. all these things. Um, yeah, yeah, probably sure. just. Sure. Probably many people who have, who have been warriors have been uh, awakened in the technical term. Uh, mm. So you know how do you how do you define these things? Yeah, yeah. How are you? Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not black and white, like morals would have you believe. Plus, there's all different kinds of fucking morals anyway. All humans have different morals. All sorts of things can seem good. Doesn't make any sense. They're like, there's just one I mean, system where everything's okay to me. Chimps have their own chimps have their own sense of morality as well. You know, it's like built into their. Oh, they really? Movie. I didn't realize that. Interact yeah. stuff. Yeah, there's a good. Um, uh, I forget the author's name, but there's a, a book I read years ago called Our Inner Ape, 
which is really good. It's like about how um, humans are kind of halfway between chimps and bonobo chimps. You know, bonobo <laughs> chimps are like the free love, hippie guys, hippie chimps. And the chimps are more like patriarchal, um, hierarchical, uh, aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, but it's just yeah. by all, it's um, from where they grew, where they, the bonobos evolved in a slightly different place that didn't have gorillas. And because there was no gorillas, they could, um, they could eat different foods in a different way. And uh, the other chimps had to be harsher, something, something like that. And um, so over time, they developed sort of a different social structure because they could get away with it and survive like that because they were like separated by a river or something like this. Uh, so it just shows that the more, and then they have ways of behaving with each other and ways of um, uh, conflict resolution with each other. Like the males and females will do it slightly differently, but the, the ways of, of keeping order in the group uh, that are their models. And, you know, like they'll get struck down, you know, they break the taboos, you know, they'll create, create conflict. And, uh, humans are like somewhere in between those two, and uh, according to this guy, and uh, but he's got other books on how the models, but all he's already in there. It's not just like it doesn't just appear by humans later. It's built into kind of social primatology. Yeah. 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 Franz Duval. Franz Duval. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, but it's. But I mean, like, it helped me understand a lot of Hyatt's point of view of stuff when he's talking in the. And doing radical and doing DVDs, he's talking about stuff to do with comparing humans to, to chimpanzee brains and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, it um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, which is something mystics don't do, and he did. And I guess if you're coming from that position, then your interpretation is going to be different. You're going to be less inclined to, uh, you know, be too moral about these things if you are. Uh, have a scientific outlook. Looks like a good book. To get this one. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay. I. I. I think. Um, that's two hours and ten minutes. It's quite a long one. Yeah. I don't have good piece anything else. Many. No, I'm. I'm. I'm ranted out for today. Just for <laughs> yeah.